family has a fish fry for Thanksgiving every year. And so we, <clears throat> we did that. And uh, going home, I, I, I knew, <laughs> you know, you think about all the people that you're going to see, people, family members who are going to be there who know more stories about you than you wish anybody knew about you. You know what I mean? Uh, so all those folks were there. And I got to thinking about my life as a kid, right? And then I, I go to leave. And my brother-in-law had uh, bought some new toys, so he gave me his old toys. And so I come back, and he has given us a, uh, a side-by-side, a Polaris thing, right? And we managed to get it in the back of my truck. So the back of my truck is, is filled, literally. There's, you couldn't fit a piece of paper in there, I don't think. Uh, except for, well, that, that Polaris thing, it has a bed in it. And so we put a heater in the back of it. So I look literally like the Beverly Hillbillies coming back. <laughs> I mean, it is, all I needed was granny to be sitting up there. I mean, that would have been it, because it was, the wind would blow and my whole truck would be, i like, oh, this is going to be exciting the whole way back. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't, I wasn't driving on a day like today, because that would have been fun. But I got to thinking about it, and just going down there as well, right, how much of our lives, our lives, are spent, are filled with our past, Right? I got to thinking about on my way down there of all the things that used to fill my life that used to be all of my life, right? They weren't my past. They were my present, right? It was my life. But then as I got farther and farther away from it, those things continued to direct my life, right? Until the way I experienced it, right? Many years later, I was running from my past, right? When I, would, when I left the church and I rebelled against my faith, I mean, I was running from it as hard as I could. Then over a period of time, I began to notice that my, my past, I was dragging it around like some old, dirty luggage, like my truck was filled with stuff that I'm just lugging around, not knowing what to do with it, not knowing where to put it down, but every, everywhere I went, there it was, right? Many people, I believe, are like me that are dragging their past around with them everywhere they go. Others have seemed to kind of be able to... Uh, get past that, and they live, they live in the present. They live for right now. Problem is, that's not always good. A lot of times, living for right now, all they're focused on is getting everything they can right now, not thinking about anything else. Then there are others who, who our society says they're, they're healthier, right? They're, they're goal-oriented people. All right? They live for the future. They're, they're setting goals, and they're accomplishing goals, and they're really getting things done, and they're, they're out there really moving. They're movers and shakers, right? They're, they're checking things off the list. They're, they're getting stuff done. They live for the future. Jesus tells his disciples in today's text that there's actually a better way. He does that a lot in Scripture. He's always telling his disciples that there's actually a better way to live. And this one, he, he, he tells his disciples to, to think about the kingdom that is to come. He says it's, it's better to, to live from the future instead of for it. It's good to have goals, but don't just live for goals. He says the best way to live is to live from your future. What does that mean? Well, we're going to dig into it. We're in Luke chapter 17 as we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And I'm just going to jump right into it in verse 20. All right? Uh, I believe this up here on the screen, but I always encourage you to bring a Bible with you. Uh, Make your own notes and underline the things that the, scripture, that the Bible says to you, that the Lord speaks to you as we, as we work through it today. Let's pray as we begin. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you, you've created in us, God. You've, you've given us, you've blessed us 
with your spirit that, that, that reorients us to live for the kingdom. That we don't live from anything like on earth. We don't live from our past, but we live from our future. From a future that you have secured. Help us to, to understand this, Lord. Speak to us today. No matter what you have to do, speak through us. So that, speak through me so that your, your children who are gathered here would hear and know. We love you. Amen. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So I just want to stop for a minute and talk about this. What Jesus was not saying was that the kingdom of God in your midst, he wasn't saying is the kingdom of God is in you, right? Because these are Pharisees, these are people who didn't believe. He's not saying it's the kingdom of God is something you've got. It's not what he was saying. The, the best translation of the, the Greek here is something that was like among you. The kingdom of God is, is right here with the presence of, like, like if you were in Mississippi, like you would, it would have been the kingdom of God is in the presence of all y'all. It's, it's right here with all y'all right now. Remember that Jesus had performed miracles upon miracles upon miracles. I mean, he had just healed the ten lepers, right? Just up in just the paragraph before. Everyone had seen these signs. The religious leaders, everyone. He'd cast out demons. He had healed the sick. He'd raised the dead. All of these things were evidence beyond sufficiency, right? To prove that, the king, that God's kingdom is right here, right now. But Jesus hadn't taken over. Jesus hadn't begun to rule as the Messiah ought to. So with some doubt, the Pharisees ask, Jesus... When is the kingdom of God going to come? They're expecting it. They're, they're waiting for it. They're looking forward to it. The kingdom, you see, for most Jews, well, especially in the first century, it, it, it was about political power. It was a political orientation that they had, that the Messiah was going to come and raise up an army that was going to defeat Rome and all the other oppressing governments around us. It was going to restore Israel's independence and prosperity. Israel was going to be the, bless, the source of blessing of God again. You know, we heard a lot about this over the last few weeks as people were running for office. You know, if you turn on TV and you saw commercials, everybody was going to deliver for you, right? They all were. <laughs> I don't know how much hope you have in any of them. I, I hope you have kind of tempered that by, at this point in your life, that you know that none of them are really going to deliver like all the stuff that they're promising. They, they, well, they haven't. Yet, right? They probably aren't going to do this time around either. But the Pharisees of that day, they were caught up in the newsmakers and the Dow Jones of their day as well. They wanted to read the signs of the times. Jesus, he wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing as the Messiah. They were looking for the news reports of what the Messiah was doing, and Jesus wasn't doing them. The kingdom that he spoke to didn't seem to be focused on this political solution that they knew, that they knew, that they knew was supposed to be. Jesus' response to the Pharisees was that don't look in the, the ways 
Don't look for me in the way, don't look for the kingdom in the ways that, that you normally would. As a matter of fact, Jesus often went around the ways that everybody would expect him to go. The kingdom is among you, Jesus said. It's right here. It's among the crowd of the, the healed lepers, the prostitutes, the deaf, the demoniacs. It's, it's among the people who've been cursed. It's among the Gentiles. Oh my goodness gracious, don't say that, Jesus. We have to understand why this was so offensive to the Pharisees. I mean, this was, I mean, they had been expecting for years that signs and wonders would be manifested in the, by the Messiah, absolutely. But, but through the Messiah, it would be in the nation of Israel. Not, the Messiah wasn't going to come and make a difference in the lives of the poor and the lowly and never in the lives of the Gentiles, Samaritans. The Messiah is supposed to come through the temple. Supposed to come through the ways of the, the Messianic covenant. The teachings of Moses, the law. That's not what Jesus was looking to do, it didn't seem to them. Pharisees could never accept an insult to all their traditions like this. So they kept asking. All throughout the Gospel of Luke, they're asking all the time, Tell us about the, where's the kingdom? When's the kingdom? Where is it? When is it? Unfortunately for the Pharisees, the kingdom had already arrived. And they seemed to have missed it. It was right in their midst. But this isn't all there is to the kingdom, right? Because we feel that same way too, right? If, you tell, if I tell you the kingdom is here, you're like, really? Like This is it? Right? You're thinking, all the stuff we have to deal with, the death and disease and, and all the, the bad news. I mean, we got, like the kingdom is here? This is as good as... No, this isn't as good as it's going to get. But yes, it's here. Yes, it's here. And no, it's not complete. By that, we mean that believers are actually taking part in the kingdom of God today as we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit in us. The kingdom won't reach its full expression, right, until sometime in the future. But we are already in the kingdom. But we don't yet see its fullness. See, that's why we call that now and not yet all at the same time, this tension that we feel. It's now and it's not yet. That's because the kingdom of God is more of a, of a who than it is a what. We want the, the return of Jesus to come. We want, the, we want the, the outcome, right? But Jesus says, my kingdom is about me. It's not about, about all those things. It, it's already begun. Now, just as a sidebar, talking about this, the kingdom of God idea, there are different ways that, that we have as Christians have, have seen this. And there's three main ones. We've seen when the, t the end will come. Because that's what Jesus is talking about here, the end times. The end of creation as we know it. Some people, some people understand that, that our job as Christians is to get as many people into heaven as possible because when Jesus comes, he's going to set up rule and, and the gates of heaven will be closed. So our job responsibility between now and then is to get as many people saved as we can. That's what was called the premillennial view of the second coming of Christ, right? Pretty, 
traditional, I mean, it's the way that most, uh, most Christians today probably identify with that, is that we've got to get folks saved before Jesus comes back. The other way that probably most mainline churches, which United Methodists are one of, but what most mainline churches see the, the, the coming kingdom of God as something that we are actually participating in, that we're actually supposed to be fixing this world, that as we, as we engage the Spirit of God in the world, at work in the world today, right, we make the, the world better. And as we make the world better, it, it's, it sets the stage for the return of Christ. So both of these views, and there's, there are others, but those are the, probably the two main ones that, that, uh, that people hold to. And you probably have, you know, maybe you're not sure which one of those you hold to. <clears throat> I'd say if you don't know, you're probably more familiar with the first one, that we have to get folks saved before Jesus comes, because then it's too late. And I'll say that that's all right, but we can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the one who's doing it. Don't get caught up in, in the kingdom and lose sight of the king. Don't get caught up in the healing and lose sight of the healer. Don't get caught up in the, the one who gives in the gifts that God gives and miss out on the one who gives the gifts in the first place. Don't lose, don't get caught like the that's what the Pharisees did. They wanted to see the end. They got caught up, fascinated by the end. And they missed the right now. That God was right in their presence. And that's what we cannot do. Regardless of how you see it's going to unfold one day, let me tell you. Let me tell you. You can go to the back of the, your Bible. You flip to the back of Revelation 21. Let me tell you what it says. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Like, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know, I know God wins in the end. I know because I know God has already won. I know he's already won today. So we can't be so fixated on how, on when, on where. All these things that the, the Pharisees were caught up in. We just need to focus on the who. On the who. Realizing that the future is now, but not yet fully. Not yet fully. There is more to come. Look at what Jesus says next. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming. When you will long to see one of, the day, one of the days of the Son of Man. Okay, he's changed from the kingdom of God to the days of the Son of Man. Two different ideas in Scripture. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, right? You get that? That's the king, God is king. So kingdom of God is wherever God rules. This idea of the, the days of the Son of Man, he's, what Jesus is talking about here is the, his return. We understand this is when, when Jesus comes back. So it's a different concept. Right? The kingdom of God is wherever God is in charge. But this idea of the days of the Son of Man is, is yet to come, even now. The time is coming when you will long to see when the days when Jesus is back, but you won't see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Don't go running after them, he said. Did you know that there are literally hundreds of people on earth today who claim to be Jesus? Yeah, you Google it. It's, it's fascinating to read about these people because they're, well, some of them are really crazy. But, but it's, I mean, the thing, I mean, some of them are atheists that, that don't believe in God at all but say they're Jesus. I mean, it's wild. How they have millions of people that follow them. Unbelievable. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and the lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, 
he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. See, the disciples, they knew something was different about Jesus. They knew that this time of following Jesus, that there was was something going on here. They knew that. The kingdom had, had appeared among them. They had experienced the change. But Jesus wanted them to know that there's a time coming when it'll be complete. Like what they were experiencing wasn't all there was to come. That there's more. Everybody, even the disciples, wanted to know when and where, which they're going to ask in just a minute. But Jesus tells them, he tells the Pharisees, to focus on the who, not on, not on the what. When I was away last weekend, when I was coming home, when I was going down to Mississippi, my phone was blowing up all the way down. My sister was calling me constantly. Where are you? Have you stopped for lunch? Have you get, like, like, really? I'm a grown man. I can stop when I want to stop, and I can drive as long as I want to drive. And oh, You need to stop. No, no, I don't need to stop. I'm pretty sure. Well, I thought I had conquered it when I got there. No, because on the way back, my wife starts calling me. Like, where'd you stop? Did you have lunch yet? I'm not hungry. You should probably eat. I, I'm not hungry. Are you spending the night anywhere? I might. No, well, you need to stop. I'm like, oh, would y'all just leave me a... You know what's not happened since I got home? Nobody's called me. <laughs> Nobody's called me. You know why? Because I'm here. Right? Y'all, do, y'all irritate people when they're on the road and they're coming to see you? Yeah, good. Because it's, it's, it, You should because they're going to do it to you. Because that's just the way it is. Why? Because... Because when we're away from someone we love, right, when we don't know what they're going through, what they're dealing with, like how they might be, like we want to know. We want to make sure they're okay. We want to we wanna reach out. We want to continually reach out. Now, you know what Michelle does? She just walks in and starts talking to me. She just walks in. She just walks up to me and I'm working. Like last night I was working. She just walks up and starts scratching my back. And I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, it's like she just does nice stuff. She says, hey, dinner's ready. Come eat it whenever you want. She just loves me because I'm there in the room. I'm in, I'm in the house. She doesn't have to wonder about me. She doesn't have to worry about me. Jesus says, don't caught up in, in how I'm going to return. I'm in your midst now. Just, just love me. Get caught up in my presence among you. Because the fact of the matter is, even if we knew the when and the where, for most people in our world, it wouldn't matter. Why do I? Why, why can I say that so boldly? Even if you, even if you knew the minute that Jesus was the day and the minute that Jesus was going to return, it wouldn't matter to most of the people in your life. You know how I know that? Because it's happened twice in the Bible. It's happened twice, and it's been proved. Jesus tells the story right next. Just as in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, being given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It was just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. It'll be just like this. The truth is, that when we think back, I mean, everybody in these two stories, right, they're just living life. They're just doing things like normal. 
and then they weren't. Why? Because something happened, right? They died. Remember, Noah had built a, a 435-foot boat in his backyard, right? It took him 120 years to build this boat. 120 years, and while he's building the boat, he's telling everybody he can that, hey, a flood is coming. I'm building a boat. If you want to come in, come and help. And you know how many people he could convince? You know the size of his church when the flood came? Eight. And he was one of them. He couldn't convince anybody that the flood was coming. Everybody, when the flood came, was eating and drinking, being marrying, getting married, giving to marriage. They were just doing life. When the flood came, it wasn't a surprise. They'd been, they'd been told. But they didn't do anything with the knowledge that they'd had. The same with Lot. An angel appears in town. An angel appears in town and warns the people, and Lot, you know, and Lot goes out telling everybody, hey, we got to repent, we got to like, we we change, because the Lord is about to kill this town. And you know how many people he can convince? His family. That's it. Nobody else. No one else. Everybody else is eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Everybody knew that God was about to judge. He, he, had, he had told them, God's about to judge, but nobody believed him. Everybody was warned, but no one acted on the knowledge that they'd been given. Instead, they just kept doing what they'd always done. And in a way, that was rebellion against God. How often do we just live life? And that just living life is actually just a, a passive-aggressive rebellion against God. Because I'm just not going to do what God wants me to do. What I'm, I'm, I'm king. I'm, I'm God of my life. Right? That may be too strong for us, but that's the reality. That's what we're saying. I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm going to do what I want. I rule my life. Knowing the right thing doesn't mean we have a relationship with God. Just knowing about God doesn't mean there's a relationship there. Focus on living right now like the people of Lot's day and Noah's day rather than the future that they were being invited into. That's where many of us find ourselves today. Many, many of our neighbors, our friends, our family find themselves just living for today. But let's be fair. The future is scary. The future is scary. When you don't know what tomorrow holds and somebody just says, you just got to, your Jesus-loving friend comes in, you just got to surrender. You got to be willing to sell everything and give it to the Lord and just follow him. What? Like, and then what do I eat? Right? Like, and then what do I do? That's scary. Let's be honest about it. God says, trust me. Trust me. We're more comfortable with our past, even, even if we don't like it. We're just more comfortable with it. We know it, and it knows us. It feels like, feels like that old tennis shoe, you know? It's like that old shoe that just, just feels right, even though it stinks to high heavens. Right? It just feels right. And so we keep putting them on. And we get in our car, and we're like, ah, God, i got to throw these things away. <laughs> but we don't. A relationship, you see, is different from knowledge. A relationship with God is, yes, it's risky, but it is oh so worth it. And we know it, it's worth it 
the moment we step into it. God, God proved himself the moment we step into it. So, so let's not be too hard on folks who get caught up in this world because it's easy to get caught up in the things of this world. It's easy to take our relationship with Jesus for granted. We get so spun up on the things that are happening right now. It's easy. But Jesus says instead of getting caught up on, on this, get caught up in me, in your place in the kingdom. One day, he goes on, no one who's on the rooftop, no one who's on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. He says, when the Son of Man comes, don't go pack your bags. It's too late. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, he says. Remember Lot's wife, Lot's wife, who looked back. And, and in her longing for what was, she died too. She died like everybody else who couldn't leave, who couldn't give up their life to follow. She died as well. He goes on to say these words that are pretty powerful. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. I'll tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked him. Jesus replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures gather. That's kind of an odd way to close a pretty powerful text. But, but all Jesus is saying is that where? It's going to be obvious. Like there's, there will be signs everywhere, just like you see the birds in the sky. You know, you know where. It's obvious to everybody. Everybody can see it. The important thing here, what Jesus is talking about, is that, is that living for, don't live for now. Let this life die so that you can live the new life. That's what he's talking about. How, so how do we live from our future? How do we live this new life? How? How is it possible to live from a future that you haven't experienced yet? How do you live not striving to attain something, but allowing, here's the key, allowing what God has done on behalf, on our behalf, actually begin to feed, direct, and sustain you today? How do you do that? First, there's three things. I'm going to close with this. First one, accept your citizenship. Accept your place in the kingdom of God. Accept it. I'm part of it. Jesus says, he goes on and Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians about what it means for those who have died and those who are still alive when Jesus returns. He's calling them all up. Everybody's going to come and be a part of this kingdom, right? It doesn't matter that the dead in Christ will rise and we'll all raise up on the clouds to meet God. We have to accept our place that's going to be. What does that mean? That means getting clear on a kingdom life. Holiness, righteousness, compassion, justice, getting our mind around those ideas that, that God has created us for. Okay, I see, I, I, I get it. Holiness, righteousness. I know what those ideas are. Then I compare, them, I compare my life to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm short. I've come up short. Being a citizen doesn't just mean that, well, I, I guess I'm out. No, God says you're already in. Just because you didn't measure up doesn't mean you're out. It means, means he's not finished with you yet. 
Now you need to begin to change some things. Now you need to begin to cooperate with the Spirit of God because that's the newsflash for you. You can't fix you, but God's Spirit can. He doesn't ask you to change. He asks you to trust Him and just lean into what He's doing. Just lean into what He's doing. Don't, don't feel like, ah, I don't want to, I don't, I, I can't do it. You're right, you can't. If you could solve your problems, you would have already done so. The, pro- the problem is that we think we can. When we accept that we can't, that he can, that is taking our part, ac- accepting our citizenship, accepting that I am a beloved child of God. You need to accept that too. When you put your trust in Christ, you need to accept the fact that, yes, you are in. You are in. Now you begin to live like it. What does that mean? Be a disciple. Be committed. Allow him to develop his character within you. Put the priorities of the kingdom in your life. Righteousness. Justice. Don't don't tolerate the things that aren't of God anymore. In you especially. Be free from the world's entanglements. Separate yourself emotionally from the things of this world. So that when you lose them, or when they're taken from you, it doesn't matter. Because your life doesn't rise and fall on the stuff you have. Multiply disciples. Make disciples. Share your faith. Teach others to follow Jesus. Obey the the things that Jesus commands. That means we have to read and we have to study his word so that we can live it out. It's not just a book of stories. It's actually teaching us how to live. Not suggestions. It's God's word. Need to live a redemptive lifestyle. What does that mean? That means you're lifting the curse off of other people. You're, you're, you're being a healer in the world. That's what God has gifted you for. To make a difference in people's lives. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hear and obey God's voice. You're going to say, I don't know what that is. Pray. Pray that God would show you. That he would fill you with his spirit. That you may respond to his will. Live in the church. I don't mean literally. Well, But live in the church. Like be a part. Be connected in the church. Not just. How many members are there, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. 270, I think. 270. I don't mean be a member, although we got some folks joining the church next Sunday. Don't, don't change your mind now. <laughs> but, but don't just be a member, but, but be a productive part of the body of Christ. Be a productive part. Be a, be, a, be a part of it, of what God is doing. That's what it means to accept your citizenship in the kingdom. Secondly, is think kingdomly. I don't even know if that's a word. Mississippi, we don't let the English language get in our way of making a point. So just think kingdomly. What, what I mean by that is, is begin to have a, a shift in your mindset. You know that you're, the way you think actually controls what you do? right? You, did you know that? Like how you think about things determines your attitude. It determines your behavior. It determines your personality. Like everything. Everything is determined by how you think about something. And so... What I'm saying is begin to make a mindset shift. Allow the Spirit to shift your thinking to a kingdom mindset, a kingdom way of thinking. Seeing things the way Jesus saw them or sees them today. 
seeing people in need as people in need, not as people who uh, are looking for a handout. No, see people in need. See people deserving of compassion, grace. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes all this. He says, and I'll I'll kind of skip through it here. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. It's not built by, by hands, right? He says, like, this life may not be that great, but know that in heaven you've got a house, you've got a place that's even better. But now you might groan, he says. And in verse 5 he says, but know this, the one who, the one who gave you this life, the one who, who gave you this, who fashioned us for this very purpose to groan is God. He says, for we live by faith, not by sight. We live regardless of your circumstances. You live regardless of your circumstances. You are a a part of the kingdom of God. We're confident, he said in verse 8. I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home of the Lord. I'd rather be in heaven than I had been. You ever been there before? Where life got so bad, you just... I'd just rather be in heaven. So we make it our goal to please him still, whether we're here on earth or in heaven. That's our goal, to be kingdom-minded, to have a mindset shift, to think about things. Living from our future, right, is about living with a kingdom mindset, the mind of Christ. That, that there is a fulfillment that's coming one day. You, you believe that? That Jesus is going to come and make everything right. Do you believe that? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. It's happening now. Let me newsflash. It's already happening. How do I know? Because you and I are in this room. Because there was one day when neither one of us would have been here. This would be the last place you'd have found some of us. But yet, well, here we are today. God is doing something now. It's happening. He is in the process of restoring all things. And the greatest part is, is that he's inviting you to be a part of it. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing. The kingdom mindset is accepting Jesus as king over everything, even me, even you. He's king. He's king. So we start thinking less about what matters now and what matters for eternity. With King Jesus. He gets to decide what's right or wrong, what's in or out. We let him decide the hard questions. Our job is just take the difficulty and it turns to a celebration. A kingdom mindset changes the things we focus on, how we make decisions, the way we treat others. We don't have to force ourselves to think differently, you see? The greatest part about it all is that, that you don't have to, like, force, the, oh, I just got to be nicer. No, you, you don't have to do that. Just follow the Spirit of God. He's going to prompt you to forgive. He's going to prompt you to say, ah, they cut me off again. And they're always in a rush. Instead of waving to them with that special finger you got. Right? You're going you're gonna to start doing things different. We don't have to force ourselves to, to think this way either. The Spirit of God will do it in us. It comes as He guides our living. It just happens. It just happens. I, I know you've experienced this if you're married, 
you ever been in a relationship with someone you love like you've experienced this? I, I know, for, for me. I know what it takes to please my wife. I know that if I can, if I just walk up and she's in the kitchen doing something and I just walk in and start scratching her back, I know how she's going to react. I know that if she wakes up in the morning after I wash the dishes at night, I know how she's going to react. I know how she, if, if she comes home from work and sees me vacuuming, I know how she's going to react. I know that when I come home and she's already there and I don't come in complaining about taking care of her animals, I know how she's going to react. I know because it took me some time to figure it out, and I don't do these things perfectly, trust me. I am far from that guy. But I know in my head that all these things that she appreciates, how do I know those things? Because I've spent time with her. Trial and error. I tried some things, and I saw her reaction. You spend time with Jesus, you're going to know what pleases him. You spend time with him, and you're going to know. You're going to stop questioning, should I do this, should I not? No, you're going to know. The things that honor and glorify God, you're just going to know because you've spent time in his presence. The closer we get, the closer we get to him, the more we see the world through his eyes. The more we understand the things he likes, the things he doesn't like, the more we start to think like him. It transforms everything, the way we see our work, the way we see our relationships with one another. But it also prepares us for the life that is coming, eternity. Which is the last point I want to make today. And that is that, that living from our future means that we're living, we're, we recognize that eternity has already begun for us. If, you, if you're a child of God, if you've surrendered your life, to, if he is the Lord of your life, Scripture teaches us that your eternity has already begun. That you're going to die, yes, but you're going to die to live. Everyone else who dies is going to die to die again for eternity. Eternity has already begun for you. This is part of that mindset shift because, because you're living a different life than everybody else. Well, not everybody else, but a lot of the people around you. And not everybody around you is going to like the fact that you're living by a different standard. Not everybody's going to like it. Matter of fact, it might be hard for you sometimes to accept that you're living by a different standard. It creates conflict. Conflict. Resistance. We should expect it. We should expect it because we're living in a foreign world. We're foreigners. When you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Christ, you're a foreigner in this land. Your king is somewhere else. You're a visitor here. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Like, I, I'm, just, I'm just doing this, right? He's actually doing this in me. 1 John chapter 2 says, The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Lives forever. Your eternity has already begun. Kingdom living, you see, isn't just living for the future. It's about living from your future. A few weeks back, I was coaching football at the high school, and we had a rough season. <clears throat> about halfway through, I asked the kids who were tired of losing, right? 
I asked them, how would it change the way you play the game if you knew that you already won? How would that affect the way you, you, you went through this week's of practice? If you knew that Friday night you won the game, how would that change your Monday? How would that change the way you, you would you show up on time? Would you come early? Would, like, how would you change? Would you, would you be in a better mood? Would you, would you be a little more energetic in there, all the drills? Or would you just kind of kick back and say, ah, this one's done already. I don't have to do anything. Like, how would, it, how would it change you to know that you already won the game? The game of football is about uh, manufactured adversity, right? That's all it is. It's, it's about putting two groups of people against each other and seeing who wins, following the rules, right? That's, that's really what it is. In life, we don't have rules aren't quite so clean, but it is a test of adversity. It's how we respond to adversity. And God, with his amazing love, he gives us the opportunity, the chance to make it an opportunity. Like, like, we don't have to get everybody in the kingdom, right? We don't have to fix everything. But God says, I want you to partner with me in making my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like, we're invited. It's an opportunity for us. It's not, our, it's not just our responsibility. It's an opportunity for us to join in what God is doing as we begin to live from our future, knowing that God wins, knowing that our eternity is secure in Christ, but I get to live for something more than just right now. I pray you know that. I pray that we all, this holiday season, will begin to adopt that way of thinking, a kingdom mindset, living from our future in Christ, letting that, letting our, letting the world know that, that I'm starting now to live for eternity. And how would it look? I'd like to pray for you. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you do make our future secure. God, I thank you that, that you love us so, that you invite us in to being a part of your work here in our community, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your love and your mercy that goes before us, God. I thank you for your, your trusting in us to send your spirit to live and, and shape us. God, to create in us things that we never thought that we would have in ourselves. So we owe you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Well, God, lead us as your people today. We love you. Amen. So I will invite you, uh, if you haven't been invited already, uh, Rock Hall, some folks from Rock Hall Church that don't have kids in town, they've decided years, several years ago now to start having